forgive me for getting emotional. I just, uh, I hadn't forgotten. And we'll never forget, you know, the condition that I was in when God found me. And what He's done in my life since then. I'm not perfected by long shot, but uh, anyway, praise God, I'll get it together. Hallelujah. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, all the way to the back, over to the book of Revelation, the first chapter. We'll go from there to the beginning of the New Testament, the literal beginning of the New Testament, which is the book of Acts, chapter 13 after that. Praise God. Are you ready? Got plenty of time. I didn't add a lot of special elements in the service because I felt like uh, I wanted to have time to get this across to you. Praise God, best I can. I tell you what, it's just so amazing. I've baptized in the River Jordan in Israel. (laughs) I've preached the gospel in South America. Most recently, I was in the dirt in sandy villages in southern India, just telling my story and preaching the gospel. But this is just as special. It's just as important. Just as meaningful. Right here, right now. Amen. So honored, so blessed to be called to preach and uh, the honor to stand before a redeemed people. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Let's launch out. Revelation chapter number one, beginning with me in verse 17. I'll read 17 and 18. John uh, has the Lord, the risen Christ, revealed unto him. He appears to John on the island of Patmos. And John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. Now, John knew Jesus intimately and personally. John is the one in the famous painting, right? That is leaned over at the Last Supper on the bosom of Jesus. It is John in the Gospel of John. He is saying about himself over and over and over again, The one whom Jesus loves. If you ever wondered who that is referring to, that's John referring to himself. And so John, the former fisherman, disciple, now apostle of Christ, who's now become aged, it's been said, history tells us that John is possibly over 90 years old during this encounter. He's no stranger to Jesus. He walked with Him, sat around campfires, experienced miracles, conducted crusades, went to villages, traveled in boats, rode donkeys as they went from village to village, walked spent nights. John's no stranger to Jesus. But after his resurrection, (laughs) seeing Jesus glorified, he appears to John, should be very familiar, John falls face down in the dirt as one dead. And Jesus has to assure him, saying, hey, it's okay, don't be afraid. How glorious, how awesome must the very appearance of our risen Lord be. And then he says to John, I am the first and the last. I am he that lives. Notice this, the Bible's bold to declare, and was dead. (laughs) Amen. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Wow. Where did he get the keys from hell and death from? I want you to notice he got them from the devil. He went to hell and got them from the devil for you and for me. Skip back down uh, now to the book of Acts, chapter number 13. Let's read some more here. Now in our church, it's encouraged, not just acceptable, to get involved with the preacher Say amen, shout hallelujah, run around the auditorium and lift your hand, wave your hanky. And uh, just so you know that, praise God. (laughs) Acts chapter 13, ushers, I'm feeling just a tad cool. You could help me. Praise God. Uh, Acts number 13, beginning in verse number 28, we'll read several, several verses here. It says, and though they found no cause of death in him... Yet they desired Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher or a grave or a tomb. 
But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. He wasn't the only one raised from the dead that day. Who are his witnesses unto the people? And we declare unto you glad tidings. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he has raised up Jesus again. As it is written uh, in the second psalm, You are my begotten son, or my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now the this day that he became the begotten of God was the day of his resurrection. Hallelujah. Because God, the father, got him. His son. He was his son before, but not the begotten. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, so it says, God has fulfilled the same. Uh, in us, have, excuse me, uh, go ahead and skip down verse 34. And as concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he says also in another psalm, that you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Hallelujah. Uh, praise God. Verse 37. But he whom God raised from the dead saw no corruption. Be it known unto you therefore men and brethren. That through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified. From all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, now notice this last phrase, Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which was spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you shall no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Most people, especially here in the United States, have heard the name of Jesus. They have a fundamental uh, understanding of what the earth has known about him. That he was a Jew, that he lived in Nazareth, that he came to Jerusalem, that he was crucified by Romans, and that people claim and many believe that God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. God warns us as we hear this story and the Bible account repeated that we do not fall prey to what one of the prophets said. And that is that God is going to work a work in your day. He'll work a miraculous work. And that work will be declared in your hearing, yet you won't believe it. You won't respond to it. You won't do anything about it. This morning, as the Lord would help me, I'd like to talk to you uh, about, you know, bring a sermon called Because He Lives. I didn't ask my wife to sing that phrase, but I'm real glad she did. Because he lives. You know, uh, there's, there's a reason, there's a, there's a happening, there's a result. So we're going to talk today about the implications of the resurrection for every human being. Amen? And I'll just ask you up front and tell you up front, you're going to have, if you've not done it already, you're going to have to do something about Jesus. You're going to have to do something about him. Amen. What are you doing about Jesus Christ and His resurrection. There are many false theories, four major ones about the resurrection. They're all laughable. I'm not going to take any time in this sermon today to provide you the scriptural, historical, scientific fact of His death, burial, and resurrection because it is an established, historical, biblical, known fact that Jesus went to the cross that Jesus was laid in a tomb, that he was guarded by uh, the SWAT team of Pilate, and that on the third day, they all got laid out, a tomb was laid open, and he who was dead was seen of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people after God raised him from the dead. All you got to do, friend, is Google it. Amen. I mean, it's just an established fact. But in the light of it, what are you going to do about Jesus? Amen. And so before I can talk to you about the because and the ramifications, the significance, the implications for you and for me 
of the resurrection, I have to spend a little time and give you the backdrop of the human drama. If you don't know God's original plan and purpose for mankind, if you don't know what happened in the Garden of Eden, if you don't know man, humanity's current condition without Jesus having done what He did, then you will not be able to appreciate the resurrection. Amen. So we want to help you with that. So turn now back to the beginning of your Bible. Man, you're going to say, this preacher, he took me all over the Bible today. <laughs> well, you know, it's not what I think or say that counts. It's really what the Word says that really makes the, the biggest difference. Think about the world as it is. Think about all that has become so commonplace to human beings. The injustice, the mistreatment, the abuse, the wars, the crime, the tragedies, the death, the heartache, the pain. Is all of this man's created, designed state of being? Look at the animal kingdom. I know you've probably watched those, those shows that uh, talk about, you know, the nature shows. And so much of it is violent. So much of it is violent from how the insects fight each other to, you know, how the, the lion is the hunter and, and how violently he must kill and shed blood to eat and to sustain his life. Is this the divine, uh, God-ordained, created order of things? One must wonder if there's a God. One must wonder, is this God good? Well, the, let, let's just read this here. Uh, Genesis 1 verse 26 tells us something about God's original design and, in, and purpose for man. It says, and God said, verse 26 of chapter 1, Let us, talking to the Godhead, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. God blessed them. You know, in the prior verses, I know you've read this before, the Genesis account, the creation of count, God created the plant kingdom. And He looked at it and He said, oh, it's good. And then He created the, all the, the, uh, the occupants of the oceans, the fish, the, the wonderful creatures that occupy two-thirds of our planet, the sea creatures. And He looked at that and He said, oh, it's so good. It's good. And then He created the animal kingdom. And He looked at it again and He said, oh, it's good. Amen? And He had created and perfectly formed and fashioned a planet, especially made for His man. And here He is now about to create the crowning achievement of all of God's creation is humanity. And He's about, He's talking, uh, Father is talking with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and Jesus, they're having a meeting, says, let us crown off this creation. Amen. With the height of my purpose and desire, to create someone with whom I can have real fellowship. Amen. And can have a family together. And so it says in verse 28, God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Amen. Verse 31, and, and it says, And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good. See, it was very good. But see, we look around today and it's not very good. There's so much pain and there's so much heartache. Well, let's, let's continue reading and we'll understand some things. Genesis 2 verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not eat, uh, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely, what? You will surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good, man, and he goes on and talks about creation of Eve. 
And of course, uh, the woman is made and given to the man. Notice here, God gave man total dominion. Total dominion over all of creation. Over all that He had made. From the, the birds that fly, amen, the fish that swim and the animals that walk the earth, man is created in the very likeness and image of God. Hallelujah. And he, he created just this perfect Eden. It's called Eden is a paradise, a place of wonder. And there's nothing there but blessing. And there are no laws to keep, no speed limits to break. Amen. Man is perfect and he has an approach to God. He has a standing with God. He walks with God and talks with God as an intelligent being for an untold period of time before a tragic day came. We know it as the fall. God only asked one thing of His man, and that is take this tree and don't eat the fruit of it. Just one thing. Why was that there? It was God's one way to give them uh, a way to demonstrate their allegiance and love for and submission to God as their creator. Amen. By not eating the fruit of this one tree, they took the will, the sovereign will, the ability to make a choice that God gave man. And every time they passed by that fruit and said no, God said no. They were demonstrating a submission, an honor, a love for God who made them. And as long as they kept that one commandment, they lived in absolute peace, no death. They didn't know fear. They didn't know torment. They didn't know what it was like to have allergies or cancer. They, they, no, there were no amputee. There was to be nothing but fruitfulness and blessing and fellowship with God and dominion and good things all their days. Come on. That is God's original intent for man. Well, we look around and it's far from that today. It's far from that today, isn't it? Why is that? Well, because we know that there came a day where man decided that he was going to disobey. The serpent comes up and beguiles and tricks the woman that God made Eve and she's deceived, she gets tricked and she eats of that fruit. But Adam, knowing that his wife has fallen, commits high treason against God. He commits the highest crime that you could commit against not only God, but against all of God's creation and against all of His own descendants, of which you and I are. In that He said, I cannot be without this wife that He gave me. I tell you, woman, God has bestowed great power on womanhood and wives. Amen. Adam just could not see a future without his wife. And so he, the Bible says that Adam sinned with his eyes wide open, knowing what it meant, knowing what he was doing. He took of that fruit that his wife gave him and he ate it, trading, trading his dominion, his standing, the blessing, that divine protection, all that God had bestowed upon him, he traded it all to enter into a fallen state with his spouse. God comes. And listen, the effects of the fall are dramatic. More than you know, they are severe. Immediately, they've lost the glory. Immediately, they are feeling things emotionally that were foreign to them. Things like fear and dread have now encompassed man. Now instead of wanting and looking forward to the fellowship of God and with their Creator as they had become their habit, now they withdraw in shame, in nakedness, in exposure, in inferiority, governed and dominated by fear. But it gets worse. God curses the man. God curses the woman. God curses the serpent and He curses the ground. I want you to think about how dramatic was the effect. Adam and Eve go on and have their firstborn. They have one child, his name was Cain. They go on and have another one, uh, another boy named Abel. And here we're just, we're just barely one generation in. One generation in from this fall. And in a moment of anger and fury and hatred and murderous, right? Cain slays his, he kills his own, his own little brother. Think about how different now the nature of man 
has become. He has lost the life of God, the nature of God, the part of Him that was God-like. He's lost that. And now He's actually taken on the nature of the serpent, of the enemy. He has become, it's exactly like Anakin turning from the, from, to the dark side of the force. If you need a visual, it is exactly like that. You think about how twisted he became, how, how his nature is just totally different now. Now, you know, Darth Vader, he's merciless. Disappoint him, he'll just walk off and leave you there. I mean, you laugh, but I mean, it's just like that. In the man, mankind, instead of being a man, a woman of love and light and joy and peace, is now full of hatred. Dominated by selfishness. Totally overtaken with the nature of the dark Lord that they pledged their allegiance to. God's only enemy, the devil. And it was in that moment that Adam took the keys of authority on this planet and handed them over to the devil. And now the entire human race has been sold into slavery, sold into sin, sold into bondage. The plant kingdom is immediately, immediately affected. Now, you, you, just, you just go out into our Kentucky landscape and thorns, I mean thorns that'll mess with you, thorns and stickers and briars and weeds abound. To make the earth grow something beneficial and blessing, you have to make it. You have to make it produce corn. You have to make it, right? If you just leave it, if you neglect it a moment, the weeds and, and, right, will overtake it and choke it out. There are plants now that will kill you. That's never, that was never God's. So the plant kingdom is affected. Think about this. Here you're in creation and for an unknown period of time, out in the prairies, the lions and the deer played together. The tigers, the panthers, the cougars, and the sheep, the lambs, all wrestled and played and curled up in the sunshine to warm themselves in the afternoon in perfect peace. Now imagine this moment, just moments after the fall, and the lion... His nature's different now. And now he looks at the one he just played with. And the hunter, the, right? He is now a hunter and his friend is now the prey. And now blood must be shed for him to eat. What I'm trying to do is trying to get you to see the devastating effect of humanity's condition in the fall. You know the Bible says one day God's going to undo all this and the lion will one day lay down again with the lamb and that the lion's going to eat straw like, a ho- like an ox. God's going to undo, right? He's, he's in the process of fixing this thing. But you cannot appreciate what God has done, what salvation is, what the resurrection means if you don't see the desperate condition of humanity. Let me just give you some bullet statements that describe the effects of the fall of man. The plan of God was totally sabotaged. Man and God became divorced. Man lost his approach to God. He even lost his right to pray. The fall gave total dominion to the dark lord of evil and death, the devil. And all of creation became subject to his awful reign. Even the very ground Adam walked on became cursed. It affected the plant and animal kingdom. A fear begins to dominate. Love is replaced with selfishness and hatred. Man is suddenly mortal, which means subject to death. How many mamas have sorrowed as they buried their children? How many husbands have had to bury their wives? How many wars have been fought? How much... Famine, starvation, rape and incest. Come on, all of it. All of it. The fruit of Adam's sin in the garden. 
Mankind loses the life and the nature of God and takes on the nature of darkness. We become, man, humanity becomes more like the devil than God. It's a sad tale. It's all biblical. It's all true. All of humanity, as I said, has been sold into demonic slavery. And Paul describes man's condition this way in Ephesians. He said, they know not, they they walk in the emptiness of their minds. They have their understanding darkened. They are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. They have no hope and are without God in the world. Wow. So here is humanity, sold by our first parents into demonic slavery, And we have absolutely no way back to the Father. I hear this sometimes. You know, you ask Him, are you going to go to heaven? Are you going to heaven? You know, I I know I am. I'm going to go to heaven. Well, well, tell me, why do you know you're going to go to heaven? Well, because I just believe God is love. And I'm I'm a good person. That ain't going to get you there. That's not enough to undo the penalty. Of what has been done. That is not enough. There is no human being that ever lived on the planet before Jesus that could do anything about man's condition. Moses was a great man, but he can't save you. Samuel was a great prophet, but he can't save you. Muhammad claimed to be something, but he can't save you. Some people worship Buddha, but he can't save you. No one, not any human being, has got the right stuff. Amen. What is the penalty? Let me tell you about this penalty. Because you can't, if you don't understand the penalty, amen, you're not going to appreciate the resurrection. Amen. Romans 3.19. If you really want to understand this, um, you need to read the book of Romans. And Paul lays it all out for you in the book of Romans. Now, I'm not going to give you real time to turn to all these passages, so uh, you might just write down this reference. Romans 3.19, Paul says that all the world, how much? All the world stands guilty before God. Amen. All the world stands guilty before God. In the margin of my my King James Bible, I got right here that my spiritual father gave me. It says that that phrase, guilty before God, means in the Greek, subject to the judgment of God. Because of what Adam did. All the world, you, me, are subject to the judgment and wrath of God. Now, you may be thinking, that's not fair, I'm not Adam. Hold on, I'm going to explain all that to you. In Romans 3.23, Paul goes on and says, For all have sinned. You see, I got you there. Paul got you there. We've all sinned. Now the reason we were all sinners before this miracle called the new birth is because of this diseased nature that has been passed down through propagation to every human being. You know, if there are traits that you got from your parents and grandparents that, you're not really, that you don't really like, listen, you got worse things from your parents than a hair color you don't like or height or a propensity to have such and such disease. Since Adam's fall, one of the things that's been passed on in the seed, the sperm of Adam, has been that dark, diseased fallen, satanic, sinful nature. You were born with it. So was I. This is why being a good person isn't enough. Because trying to be good and believing God is love, which He is, is not undoing the nature that you have down on the inside. It doesn't touch that. You need something to touch that. You need to say, it's got to be so radical to turn the lion back into a grass eater. That's how radical this thing's got to be. You don't really view a lion as a grass eater. I just heard uh, a couple of weeks ago about another guy had a pet lion. He grew up into adulthood. He was playing with him one day and the lion mauled him, killed him. 
Dummy, dummy. I mean, that's the current nature of the lion. And the lion cannot, can the lion be a good person? The lion just is what it is by nature. And that's what sinners are. That's what all human beings are. Guilty before God. Hopeless before God. Lost before God. It's a pretty desperate condition. You can't do anything to save yourself. You can't do anything to fix it. Man. In Romans 5.19, it says, For as by one man, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By one man's act of transgression, we're all made sinners. And in another place, it says, By one man's offense, death reigned. That means it ruled, it dominated by one. Because of one, death reigned over all humanity. Over one. Because of that, judgment comes to all. We must accept, friend, that the judgment God has passed upon mankind is totally just and deserving. Our great-grandpa committed high treason against God. And we all came from his loins. And we have his nature. The demands of justice must be satisfied if man is to have any hope of redemption. You see, the people that, that, that give the God is good and God is love argument, what they don't understand is that God is that. He is good and He is love, but He's more than that. He's also just. He's just. And everything He does, He must do on legal grounds. It must pass legal, moral muster. And so God cannot just give you a do-over. There's no do-over that can be done. God told Adam before he did it, in the day that you do it, you will surely die. You will surely die. And die he did. Die he did. Now, you may want to say, no, 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 no. I read my Bible before, Pastor Chris. He lived over 900 years. He did physically. But in the very moment he violated God's commandment, he died spiritually. Lost the glory, lost his approach, lost his righteousness, lost his holiness, lost his godly nature, and truly became spiritually dead. And it did take almost a thousand years for that death to affect his physical body. But it did. It's interesting in Isaiah when it says that Jesus died for us, it says that he died the deaths. Now in the King James, it's just death or singular, but if you look at that word up in the Hebrew original, it's deaths. The Messiah died the deaths, meaning he died not only physically on the cross, but he died spiritually by becoming sin. Think of that. He became what we were so that we might become well, we were not. Hallelujah. Oh, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. So, the horrors of hell is what we all deserve. The horrors of hell ought to tell us how awful our sin is in the sight of God. I wish this generation would hear me because they become way too comfortable with sin. Way too comfortable with sin. They sin way too easy. People come to my church every week. And I love them and God loves them. But they're sleeping with someone they're not married with. They commit all kinds of sinful acts. And they don't act like they're very hung up about it. Adam's one misdeed, his one thing sold us all out. And everything you see in this earth is, is fruit of what he did. Sin is awful. Sin is evil. It'll send you to hell. It's full of death. And you ought not do it. Remember what God said in the day that you eat there, you will surely die. Amen. Death is spiritual. Death is physical. And if without a fix, it'll be eternal. You know, God intended Adam and Eve to live eternally in that blessed state. So his choice affected eternal outcomes. I don't think that's fair. I think that's a little harsh. You're not God. 
You don't get to define what's harsh. That'd be like the, the murderer coming before the judge and say, life, life without problem, life without, that's too harsh. You're being too hard on me. It don't matter what you think. You don't got the authority. You don't have the black robe. You don't have government behind you. You're going to go to jail for the rest of your life. Because there's a penalty. Sinful man is destined to be eternally incarcerated in hell. So we're going to move on here quickly, but do you see how hopeless, how desperate humanity's condition is? Cursed, enslaved, death-doomed, and has no way to save himself. God's answer to this dilemma is Jesus. <laughs> now people have made the argument, God knew Adam was going to do that. And he put him in that garden with that tree, with that fruit anyway. Therefore, God's responsible. Well, that sounds kind of accusatory, number one. But number two, that accusation does not stand in the light of Jesus. Because Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus, what God has done in the gospel, what the gospel teaches us, is that God has taken full responsibility for man's sin. He is going to assume upon Himself complete liability to pay for it. And from the cursing in Genesis 3, the last verse or so in that chapter is the first prophecy about Satan's defeat. That I'm going to put enmity between the woman and you. This is why Satan hates women so much. Why the oppression's been so severe. It's because Satan has long been afraid of woman. Because it was woman that was going to give birth to the one that would undo him. That's why he's afraid of you women. That's why anything you do to abuse a woman, oppress a woman, mistreat a woman, is acting like the devil. God said, I'm going to put enmity between the woman and you, Satan. Because... She out of her womb is going to come the one that's going to bruise your head. And your bruise on your head is going to... You know, Satan's still walking around today with a big bruise on his head and won't heal. And Jesus has got one on the bottom of his foot where he... Come! Hallelujah! Praise God forevermore. So God... God... Says, man's hopeless. If I'm ever to have a family, if my plan and purpose for mankind is to ever come into fruition, I have to provide, I have to do something. And Jesus just says, send me. Send me. And this, if you'll stay, if you'll get with me and not check out on me in the last few minutes of this message, it'll, it'll, it'll untangle so many questions for you. How come God can't, st- how come He just is not stopping stuff? How come He let so and such and such happen? Listen, sweetie, He gave man dominion and man gave it to the devil. And God has to move on legal grounds. That's why. That's why. God didn't give Adam dominion over the planet for an unlimited period of time, though. He just gave him a lease. See, a man gave it up, so a man's going to have to get it back. So God made Jesus a man. But He couldn't be an Adam man. You understand that? Couldn't be an Adam man. This is why the virgin birth is so very important. You have to believe in the virgin birth. Do you see that now? Because if Jesus is the product of Joseph's sperm, He's a descendant of Adam. And He's in the same sinful boat with all the rest of us. Oh, but if He was born a virgin... If the power of the Holy One is the one that came over Mary and provided the seed to join with her egg, then it's God, holy God, 100% God growing in her womb. Hallelujah. Untouched by the sin nature of Adam's sin and treason. And yet, because of the egg of Mary, 
He is fully man. He's a hundred percent man. He's a man. He's a human being through and through. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible calls him the last Adam. Amen. And of course, now we know that Jesus would go to the cross and God would lay upon His sinless, perfect Son our sin. All of humanity. Isaiah 53 says, God hath laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. He took full liability and He suffered for it. He suffered for it. He was spit on, he was beaten, he was rejected, he was punished. He was physically tortured, crucified, and died. Innocent, completely innocent. But all the physical suffering pales in comparison of what God really did to him. You think about the pure holy, sinless, ancient of days, became sin. He didn't carry it. He became it. i got a lot of scripture for that before you want to challenge me. He became sin. So much so that God the Father, who had one son, looked upon sin, turned His back. I will not look on you, for you have become sin. And he just waited. Jesus cries out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Did Jesus lie about it? No, he didn't lie about it. Father forsook him. Turned his back on him. And he stayed that way. Jesus gave up the ghost. And his suffering wasn't finished. The worst was yet to come. He would now go to where we were destined to be incarcerated in federal prison. This place called hell. And he stayed there and he was punished and experienced all the horrors and fires of hell until the the high court of justice could rightly say, that is enough. The penalty has been paid. I said, man will surely die. And die he did. And yet, Because, because he was truly innocent, God was also perfectly just to say, do it, Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost quickened Jesus' spirit in hell. And he is born again. (laughs) Fully restored. But he didn't immediately ascend back into that broken body. He had some business to do with the devil. That's why I read Revelation 1.18 to you. That he took the keys of death and hell. There's still death and there's still a hell. But a different person's holding the keys. Now don't dupe yourself into thinking that because Jesus did all this and he's holding the keys, I'm off scot-free. No. What he did won't benefit you. Unless you as a human being and and a descendant of Adam, you must make a choice. You were drowning, sure to drown, sure to die in your sin. And God from heaven threw you a life preserver. But He cannot make you grab hold of it and cling to it. That's up to you. And every man, every woman, God demands in the light of all that Jesus did that He didn't have to do, He demands every person everywhere repent of what they've done. To take responsibility for their sins and to turn to God and believe. You have to do something about Jesus. You have to do something about Jesus. Amen? Now I'm going to impress you with how fast I'm going to give you These next few things as we close. The implications of the resurrection. Number one, what does it say to us? It means Satan's defeated. The resurrection proves to us, hallelujah, that he was totally successful in his mission. I mean totally successful. Hallelujah. 
Colossians 2, 13-15 says, Praise God that though we were once dead in our failure and corrupt nature, God made us alive with Christ when He forgave us all our failures. He erased the charges that were brought against us through the written laws that God had established. He took the charges away by nailing them to the cross. He, Jesus, stripped the satanic rulers and authorities of their power and He made a public spectacle, meaning in hell, of them as He celebrated His victory. Hallelujah. The resurrection proves to us beyond all doubt Jesus won and the devil lost. Amen. Number two, number two, the resurrection means that the sufferings of Jesus as our substitute was enough. It was enough. It was enough to save you. It was legal. Your payment, the price that you owe has been paid. It's been paid. The curse that we were to endure has been lifted. If you'll receive it. If you'll walk in it. His resurrection proves that His death, burial, and suffering satisfied the demands of justice. And now God can legally, in love, offer you a hand of fellowship. How good is our God? Hallelujah. Number three. Number three, the resurrection means that the Bible is God's Word. And that Jesus is everything He said He was. Think about this. If the resurrection's true, it's all true. Right? If the resurrection happened, if if He's alive, if that's true, it's all true. What are the implications of that? It It means that Jesus meant it when He said... Get married before you have sex. That's right. It's all true. Yeah. If, if the resurrection's true, it's all true. Amen. Right? And that means that all of it, all of it, Amen. that we must, we should, if we're smart, <laughs> we'll hold to everything it says about Him. Not just the fun part about He's alive. Listen, even you as Christians, you've got to do something about Jesus. If He's alive, you're going to meet Him one day. And we're accountable for everything He said. Everything He said. And when He said, love your enemies, it's all true. Oh, isn't that sweet? No, it's, it's a commandment. He says, love your neighbor. <laughs> right? When He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. All of it. If the resurrection's true, friend, it's all true. And we need to hold to His teachings and obey His commandments. Number four, talking about implications of the resurrection. The resurrection gives you and I as a believer an unshakable foundation upon which to take our stand of faith. Listen, I am totally, utterly convinced down to my cellular level in my bones. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. I have already see, received immortality. This earth, right? Jesus said, He that believes in me will never die. Though he die, yet shall he live. Meaning, yeah, if, if he dies before I get this whole thing wrapped up, his physical body, he will yet live. He's alive. I, Chris Cody, the real me, will never die. I'll never die. I may leave. My body may fall to the ground. I, I may depart and go to heaven. But I'm, I'm going to live on. I'm going to live on with God. Just like God intended in the beginning, praise God forevermore. If I don't see you again after today, don't cry for me. Woo, glory to God. His resurrection promises us our own. My mom's been gone since 2005, but she's going to be raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Brother Dennis's dad just graduated to heaven, but you know what? God's going to raise his dad from the dead. Hallelujah. How do you know? Are you sure? Jesus did. Praise God. Amen. You see, I don't know what you're building your life on, friends. But I know what I'm building mine on. 
I'm building my life on something eternal. Something that cannot be shaken. And no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens, I'm going to be all right. It's all going to be okay. And God continues to teach me. This is why we have a church. This is why we have more than two services a year. Y'all know that, right? Hallelujah. Because He continues to teach His people how to walk. We walk so much of our lives in the ways of Adam. We've got to learn how to walk in the ways of Christ. Hallelujah. And there's power and there's destiny. And God has wonderful things for your life. Amen. Lastly, number five, the fifth implication of the resurrection is that His resurrection guarantees a future day of judgment. It guarantees it. Last scripture in Acts 17, 31, Paul preaching a sermon under the anointing of the Spirit said this. He said, because He, God, has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man that He has ordained and whereof He has given assurance or a guarantee of this fact to all men, all humanity, by raising Him from the dead. You can live your life like the resurrection didn't happen, but it did. It did. And God, who sits on His throne, has ordained a day in which He will judge the whole world righteously. And He's going to do it by the one, by the very one that came to save humanity, will judge humanity. No longer can any sinner accuse Jesus or God of being unjust or unfair in punishment in the light of all He did. He could have left all of us to sink on the Titanic of humanity. Right? Started over with some different race of being. He could have left us alone. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe upon Him would not perish, but instead would have everlasting life. There's a life preserver floating out there in the sea of humanity. You're going to take it? Or you're going to drown? Whatever you choose will be your own. And God will be right and just to judge you for your choice. Would you bow your heads with me today?